Today's episode is brought to you by the new Paramount Pictures film, Mother. In this movie, a couple's relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home, disrupting their tranquil existence. From one of my favorite filmmakers, Aaron Aronofsky, who directed Black Swan, Requiem for a Dream, Mother stars Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, and Michelle Pfeiffer. It's a riveting psychological thriller about love, devotion, and sacrifice. I suspect everyone is going to be talking about this movie in September, so go see Mother on September 15th. Douse's advice was get the most expensive pair of sunglasses you can find and, and walk in like you own the place. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Sean Fennessy. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Ringer, and here's the big picture. Great show today. FOR, friend of The Ringer, Jay Baruchel is here. He's here to talk about his new movie, Goon Colon, Last of the Enforcers. It's a hockey movie. He was the writer and producer of The First Goon, which is one of my favorite sports movies of the century, I would say. And to join me to talk about Goon and Goon 2 and also great hockey movies, resident ice queen of The Ringer, I would say, Katie Baker. Katie Baker, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So Bakes, you know why you're here. We're talking about Goon. Explain to listeners kind of what happened with this first film, why it was good and, and where we're going in the next one. Goon is a movie about a bar bouncer played by the man formerly known as Stifler. That's right. A, a real turn from the Stifler character. It's a, a much more dramatic role. And Doug, who's played by Sean William Scott, ends up playing hockey as an enforcer. He can barely skate, but he can beat people up. And that ends up elevating him to one one league below the pros. So it's kind of about his journey. He meets a woman. Yeah, it's a really kind of weirdly beautiful movie, The First Goon, and great performances. It's funny. I feel like this movie also, and the second movie as well, really make an effort to just be like, this is just the guy who has a pregnant wife and he's trying to figure out what's the best choice for his family, right? Yeah. My theory is like, I feel like hockey players' moms have to drive them to the rink at five in the morning and it just, <laughs> it's hard to be uh, a diva when when that's your mentality. So obviously you are emotionally connected to hockey. I feel like hockey is an underrated platform, an underrated uh, palette for movies. So tell us about some of the best versions of the hockey movie. The one, two, I think it's pretty well accepted that Slapshot is kind of always going to be most people's number one. I think Goon, to me, there's just something about the way Goon portrays like the entire universe, like including fans and including the personalities. That I really like, and, and and but I did go back and watch Slapshot, and it actually was a lot better than I remembered. It truly is great. Um, if anyone has never seen Slapshot that is listening to this right now, just just go just get it on iTunes. What else, so what else is on your list? What else is on my list? We've got Miracle, kind of, of the feel good, rah rah American, and that's a portrayal of the 1980 Miracle on Ice team, right? Correct, um, and he. You know, he's got a good locker room speech that rivals like Al Pacino and every any given Sunday for off debated in this office, you know, <laughs> oh, which is the, number one. Yeah. And uh, this isn't on my top list. But if you haven't seen the movie Sudden Death, you're missing out on a Jean-Claude Van Damme film set at a Pittsburgh Penguins game that <laughs> includes a fight with the Penguins mascot in the, um, you know, the the kitchen. I, I never knew there are so many like ways to try to kill someone in a in a commercial kitchen, but now I do. And honestly, that that is like a, an all-time 
great film that has hockey in it. <laughs> um, it even includes a uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, s- stealing a, a goalie uniform and then having to to make a, a pivotal save. So that's kind of an underrated hockey adjacent film. Incredible. That's that's 5B or something. On the yeah, list. exactly. Yeah. Youngblood I just recently watched. It's a very entertaining snapshot of a certain time in film, which brings us to The Mighty Ducks. Let's do it. Let's break it down. Do you do you love the Mighty Ducks? I love it. Okay. Do you we, love it? I do love it. We this came up last night in conversation when we were out with the staff, and we mentioned it to Bill Simmons, and he kind of just blanked us a little bit. You he, know, he's he's a young blood era. Yeah. What so? What is it that makes this like uniquely '90s and special to people like me and you? I think there was kind of a whole run of good kids sports movies in that in that time like little giants and yeah, the sandlot exactly like that. yeah it's your classic story of a ragtag group of kids led by a coach who you know in, in spite of himself comes to love them strong performance from emilio estevez extremely strong yeah. it's kind of funny that for a disney film it begins with a dui like i don't know that that necessarily would be the detail these days it's a great point right gordon bombay washes out of i think professional hockey right because of this he's a lawyer at oh, some he's a lawyer okay. but he is a former with a, with a hockey background he has hockey aspirations for sure who's your number one duck let's let this is an important way to go out i love i love uh what's his name averman braverman <laughs> yeah. um, kind of the nerdy but goldberg the goalie a favorite and then you know the, the tension between Goldberg the goalie and Julie the cat Gaffney in Mighty Ducks 2 is an important one. Julie the cat really, you know, we, I mentioned Little Giants like Becky the Icebox. That's right. You know, it, I'm, I'm kind of proud of these 90s movies for being so progressive with their portrayal of women. They were. Disney was so woke and we didn't even know it. <laughs> we didn't. And, you know, Mighty Ducks gets props for, I don't know if there's like really any other sports movies that that launched a professional franchise. That's exactly right. That's yeah. it. That's why it's – I would say it's not the best movie but arguably the most important hockey movie because its effect is long-lasting. Yeah. Katie, thank you very much for joining me and breaking down your list. Thank you for having me. And now here's my conversation with Goon Last of the Enforcers director Jay Baruchel. Jay Baruchel, thank you so much for coming in today, man. What's up? Thank you for having me. Lovely to be here. Jay, you're a director now. AI, technically, yeah. How did that go? You Goon, Last of the Enforcers. Yeah. It's a sequel to Goon. It is indeed, yeah. It's, uh, um, it, it was amazing. It's the best gig, best gig in the world to direct a movie. Um, it's all I've ever wanted to do since I was a little kid. Really? Yeah. When I started acting at 12... I had that was like three years into me had saying that I wanted to be a director. At nine is when I started, and my mom said to me, "You know, you want to go to film school. Well, being on set is uh, the best film school in the world." And and I've been very, very uh, fortunate um, and grateful for the career I've had. But I was always in acting to be a part of movies, not the other way around. And um, and so I've been waiting for this, like I said, since I was nine years old. And um, and and it's a hell of a fuck first movie to get to start with is something like this that's like uh already has an audience that people dig you know who who quite liked the first film so it was like not lost on me what a big deal it was 
So you co-wrote the first film. I did, yeah. Uh, you're a Canadian man. I am. You're a massive hockey fan. I am. Um, tell me a little bit about how the original Goon came about and yeah. sort of like why you felt like you needed to pick it up and tell more of the story. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, so how, how it kind of came, how I and Goon found each other was like super, super simple was um, – my friend Evan Goldberg, who's uh, Seth Rogen's writing partner, was approached to adapt uh, this book, Goon. Um, and uh, he said, yeah, that sounds great. I just don't know anything about hockey. And he's like, uh, but my friend Jay uh, does. And and he also knew that I had been writing a fair bit and trying to get that going. And so he stuck his neck out and spoke on my behalf. And then he and I very quickly, I think in like, like half an hour, 45 minutes, kind of – figured out most of the big ideas for that movie, um, what we were going to sort of take from the book as inspiration because Goon is technically inspired by a true story. Mm -hmm. There's a guy called Doug Smith um, whose story and life is a bit more Hollywood than we wanted. Um, he actually wins championship and gets the girl and all this different stuff. And and um, and so we were like we want to take some of that um, and filter it through our own experiences and for me, everything I know about hockey or at least the beginning of it was all through my father. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I come by my Montreal Canadiens fandom quite honestly through my dad. Uh, also, um, I'm half Irish on mom's side, Jewish on dad's side and uh, the sort of – and dad was an immigrant as well. And the kind of uh, first generation immigrant Jewish thing – um, was part of hockey for him uh, because he played hockey in an all-Jewish hockey team called the Bethel Wings. And sometimes parents of their of the other team would throw pennies at them as they came on the ice. And wow. so dad would just note to self, I'm going to line up one of these kids pretty good. <laughs> and uh, and I remember- Was he a goon? He was. Uh, wow. My dad had the fight in him in a big way. Um, um, whether it was on the ice or just out at the store, it, he just like liked it. He, you know, some guys like doing it and dad was one of them. And, um, and so like, I remember meeting someone when I was like 22 who had played on the hockey team with my dad when they were in high school. And I was like, because the great shame in my life was that I've always been a piss poor athlete and 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 had no interest in ever be getting any better. Um, I just wanted to watch movies, read comics, play with GI Joes, and um, and so I know that it was like a lump in my dad's throat that I was never the, the hockey player, and uh, you know I would play pitch and catch with him in the backyard and like purposely limp. Make my make my catching arm as limp as I could, then I would like fall to the ground with the and I go, and say, okay, fine, you can go inside just to get. It. So I I sat next to this guy Willie, and I was like, tell me, tell me, you played hockey with my father to grow up in my house, you know. I, 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 the implication was that, you know, he, he elected not to go to the NHL. He decided to take his talents to our house. So, so I was like, <laughs> tell me, how good was my father at hockey? And uh, and he said, "How do I put this?" And I'm like, "Okay, great." And uh, and he says, "He liked to. Your father liked to finish his checks, and that dovetailed perfectly with everything I knew of my father, who would uh, zero zero to fist into somebody's face very very quickly. So the um, the hockey fighter aspect, uh, which is already hockey's a black sheep sport in the states, and then hockey fighters are black sheep in that sport, and that seemed very – it was hard for me to separate that from my dad's experiences and all the kind of cultural stuff in it. And so that's why we made uh, Doug uh, Jewish. 
and uh, and because everything I know about hockey fighting was through my dad, and uh, the 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 two were uh, he couldn't pull the two things apart, and and also growing up watching the Habs and watching hockey, all of the players that were lionized in my house. Uh, with the exception of Patrick Waugh, every single one of them was a fighter. Mm-hmm. Chris Nyland uh, was a, my dad's favorite player. Um, these were I, so I grew up very much in the cult of hockey fighting. And you stuck with hockey through into adulthood as a as a I, serious fan. Yeah. Uh, well, what's weird is I I so when I was fighting to define myself, ten, eleven, twelve, and I realized I'm not sports guy. Uh, dad is sports guy. I'm movies and comics guy. I I distanced distanced myself from it, and then I had this light bulb moment uh, towards the end of my teenage years where I was like, "Oh, wait a second, I can enjoy <laughs> I can enjoy and follow a sport and a team in said sport." without ever playing it. I was like, the, the two aren't mutually exclusive. I don't have to be athletic mm-hmm. to like sports. And and once I was able to make that conclusion in my head, uh, I, I fell back in love. And I also suspect my dad passing uh, in 04 kind of helped part, made some of that as well, you know, and not to make it super hokey, but uh, in my mind, one of the things the goon movies are is like my way to say to dad up there. Um, so I, I never I never put on the sweater and the skates for you, but I could do my version of it. And so I couldn't play hockey, but I like movies. So I was able to make movies about hockey. That was my way to, you know, meet halfway kind of. He obviously would have loved goon. I right? think you know, so. And, and I this think movie so. As well. But so. Thank you. In the parlance of um, movies and comic books, you, there's a Goon Expanded Universe now. Yes, there and, is. Uh, yes, I, I want to know about how that came about and why you did that and um, yeah. you know, why, why was there more in Doug's story to tell? Um, a bunch of reasons uh, and, and most, most of them from the most pure place possible. Um, we, we had only started a conversation in the first one. The first one is very much a love story. Uh, a puppy love story. So boy meets girl and it's boy meets hockey, boy meets hockey fighting. And and it's the start. And at the start of any relationship, everything is quite sweetness and light. Um, year two of a relationship or a job or something, the honeymoon is done and it's much more of a gray area and your answers aren't as easy uh, and readily available. And so we saw there was something of a moral imperative as well to continue this conversation about what it is to do this for a living. Uh, the the sort of negative physical and mental and emotional repercussions of this particular line of work wouldn't have had a place in the first film because the first film, like I said, is about falling in love. This one's about being married. So Doug's married to Eva and he's married to his job and uh, and it's a job that asks a lot of you and takes a toll of you. And and it's a very finite thing. It's a, something you can't do forever. And we thought, what an amazing question for a hero to ask of themselves. If uh, I found what I was meant to do, and what if what I'm meant to do is hurting me and I can't do it forever? Then what? Right. And I think that that applies to music and sports and a lot of jobs that are uh, short shelf life jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, people define themselves entirely by that. Well, what happens when that ends? Skills that erode. Yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah, can yeah. you evolve into the next phase of your life, who this next person you're going to be? 
or will you be extinct and stay back there trying to hold on to what you used to have, right? And and so we thought that these were very uh, this is very fertile ground for storytelling. Um, and on top of it, we also just thought uh, that we killed it. We love we everyone involved with the first film really loves it, and and we had such an amazing time making it. And the only sad thing was by the time it was done. Uh, we felt like we had just gotten our sea legs. We had just understood our rhythm. We had just figured everything out, how to read one another. And so we we had so much story left to tell, uh, so much more character stuff we had come up with. And and we'd created a world that was fairly rich and deep and felt like uh, like something that we could see more of. Right. Know? So you'd wanted to be a director for 25 years. Yeah. You hadn't had a chance, but you wrote and you produced the first one as I well. I did, yeah. Right? And so how does this happen? Do you have to convince someone to take a <laughs> shot and let you do it? Were, were there other movies you were going to direct before this? Yeah, the, there was a horror movie that I'm – hopefully will uh, – you know, I, I should know actually this week if we're getting to make it this this fall um, called Random Acts of Violence. That was an ad- adaptation of a graphic novel that my writing partner Jesse and I did. And so we had been building that for years and then – and it's so funny in movies, especially in small movies. I don't. I suspect that doesn't apply much out here in like studios, but in small mo- in small cinema, uh, movies aren't movies for years, and then they are. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, someone gets a production office and a fax machine, and then stuff just starts happening. And that's kind of what happened with Goon Two. And but I never uh, volunteered. I, I because um, I firmly believe in chain of command and Michael Dows, my buddy, directed the first film. He's my general. And so Jesse and I built number two for him to take over and run it again. Um, and uh, in addition to being my general and one of my mentors and a dear friend, he's a dear friend of mine. And so we made the movie for him to direct. When circumstances dictated that he couldn't come back, then it was a big question mark. And I know that my preference was for me to take over Mm -hmm. uh, because whoever else we would get would be just some guy. Your your baby, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. somebody from the the farm team, the youth academy that was there the first time. We can import someone sexy, but they're just not going to have the skin in the game. Right. Of course, I can't say that. (laughs) And – but I didn't have to uh, because our lead, Sean William Scott, said you should direct it. And then our other lead, Marc-Andre Grandin, said, I think you should direct it. And uh, and then that's – and then the producers and I started having a conversation and then it was like, yeah, let's let's take a gamble on him because at least we know him. So mm-hmm. – and, um, and I give a shit about this world and this character. So uh, floored that they said yes. In fact, the entire – every day on set. When I'd see the uh, the slate, I would say, you know, it says director, Jay Barish. I was like, you should put quotes around director. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you, you're, you're going to make the film. Before you're making the film, are you scared? Are you nervous or oh, yeah. purely excited? Uh, mostly excited. Okay. Mostly excited. Inevitably nervous because um, it's a big undertaking mm-hmm. to, to direct a feature film at all, at any scale. Um even the feature film of what you and I are doing, the, the the ninety minute version of you and I across the table, would be a daunting task. Well, let my al- dinner with Jay, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let alone, let alone a sequel 
that also has uh, – there was a time in pre-production when my first AD came to me and was like, OK, we need to cut some characters because uh, you have – I calculate You have 65 speaking roles in this movie. Um, we have 12 hockey teams to create and populate from scratch and, and big arenas. And, and, and my whole pitch the whole time was this has got to be – uh, ben Hur meets the Trailer Park Boys. I want it to feel wow. epic in scope, but super blue collar on the ground. But anyway, so there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of action, and I don't think most people's first movie requires that much shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not complaining. I, I'm, I, vol- I put myself out there. I, I, I leapt at the chance. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely nervous. Mainly, mainly. Uh, Two things, mainly because I wanted to make sure the movie uh, was worth making. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give people that liked the first one a worthy sequel um, and that respected them and respected our characters. Also, for me personally, I've never said this, is I have wanted to direct since I was a child and now I finally have the chance. So let's shit or get off the pot. I better fucking kill it, man, or else everything I've been saying has been just conjecture and nonsense. I've This is my time to prove that – the movies I've been making in my head since I was a child, I can actually find a way to do it. And um, and I was very, very lucky. I, I had uh, 99% of the same cast returned and then some. Uh, we got you know new, new, a bunch of new people coming into play. I had – but I had no work to do with them, with any of them. And I made sure that whoever I – whoever we hired – would just kill it and I wanted everyone to feel free to create but I also know that the best directors um, can lean on and hire the best people and so that's why like my cinematographer for my first film is Paul Sarasi who shot every single Adam Agoyan movie uh, the Borgias uh, like like you know far classier than what you know and but that was deliberate that was deliberate that was like I want – if because chips are down, we're going to run out of time, we're going to get behind schedule, blah, blah, blah. I want the I want the motherfucker knows just how to light instinctively. Mm-hmm. And so – and I and I took that approach to everything. And and um, and um yeah, I spoiled for riches, spoiled for riches with the cast and crew. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Something is always off. Thankfully, ordering a custom shirt online has never been easier with proper cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt in seconds by just answering 10 simple questions. Not to mention you can choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles, from classic to business, to completely customize your shirt and get the style that you want. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world, and they only buy fabrics that meet their high-quality expectations. Each one of their shirts goes through extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. Best of all, Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they will remake it for free. This is the future of shirts. These shirts are made completely custom for you, starting at just 80 bucks. So stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com backslash BS today. and our gift code BS to save $20 on your first shirt. Do it today. And now back to my conversation with Jay Baruchel. What didn't you see? I mean, you've been acting in films and television for, like I said, 25 yeah. years. What did, but what did you not know the first day on set or what was the hard thing that you couldn't foresee? Yeah, it, it's weird. I, I, for whatever reason, it didn't I, – I, so I'm very ill at ease in front of groups of people and like I don't do much like theater or anything. Uh, set is different because uh, it's just the place I know best on earth. But – 
at the start of every scene, you do a blocking. You do a big rehearsal where the entire crew queue up and sort of the actors wait for the director to kind of tell them what to do and how we're going to tackle this. And it's exactly what should happen. Well, of course, then I'm like, oh, God, right. That means that multiple times a day I'm going to have 100 people staring at me in silence waiting for me to tell them what we should be doing. Well, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> so, you're, so, the, you're the general now. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to betray that. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and that was the advice I'd gotten from Michael Dowes, from Jacob Tierney, from all these directors that I are friends with mine that I respect was like no matter what, you'll always have an idea. You've been on set since 1995. You will never be at a loss completely. And uh, Douse's advice was get the most expensive pair of sunglasses you can find and 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 walk in like you own the place. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 that's and, like beating the guy up in prison, right? Yeah, 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 first day. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was. I'm mean, so, so this is going to sound so incredibly nerdy um, and insane, but so I'm a big history nerd, and and one of the sort of things I I took in with me was I was like. I I want to be Napoleon, which and what I mean by that is oh no. <laughs> what I mean by that is, I, yeah, I, uh, Napoleon was the, his true genius was uh, two twofold was that all of his men believed that he had the end in sight and would follow him to the gates of hell, but they also liked him and enjoyed his company. He ate with them and all this stuff. And that sounds incredibly wanky because talk about nowadays all that stuff. But what I meant was I wanted everyone on our set to believe and know in their heart of hearts that I have a vision and I have a place I'm taking us. But I also wanted them to enjoy being there. And and to that end, it was kind of – we had something uncommon on our set that I've not seen on many other sets where pretty much everyone – and I made this abundantly clear. Everyone had the freedom to come up to me and pitch stuff. So that would be my grip would come up and be like, I think you might need a – you might want to get close on that guy there because it might help you in the – I was like, oh, that's a very good point. And I had uh, – like there's this weird shot in number two in Last of the Enforcers. We have this concussion vision um, and – we use this lens baby. That's what it's called a lens baby. This attachment you put on. Well, my focus puller just on his own made this weird little stencil of a Halifax Highlanders logo, fit that on the lens baby and messed around. And what we ended up getting in the con- concussion shots, if you if you watch real carefully, the, the light turns into a logo in a slight little corner for a bit. These little things. What I'm saying is he didn't ask me. He just did this. I was like, what do you think? I was like, dope. And, 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 and that was the same with all the actors. And I wanted everyone to be able to come up to me and be like, yeah, I don't think this works. You know what I thought would be really cool. And, and because the movie's better for it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I get, I get a hundred people clocking it the way I'm clocking it and giving as much of a shit as I am. And also it should be a fun place to show up every day. You know, like it. We, there, there's quicker, easier ways to get paid. So we're there because it's the, it's a good gig and making movies is the best. And so I, I wanted everyone to have as much fun as possible and feel open and feel that it was their movie too. Did you have a Waterloo moment? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, uh, plenty. Yeah. Inevitably. <laughs> yeah. Every day I fought Wellington. Uh, um, <laughs> every single day. Uh, the 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 the, the, the real Waterloo stuff was the fact that um, we just didn't have. We're small movies, so we just didn't have enough days to do everything we wanted to do. Like, I'll put it to you this way. So on an average TV show, which they shoot six to eight pages of dialogue of scenes a day, if they get up to 35 different camera setups, that's a huge day for them. Mm -hmm. On a feature film that shoots two and a half pages a day, if you get to five setups a day, that's a huge day. On our movie, our mean average, I swear to God, is one of the only things I'll brag about. Our fucking mean average for the entire movie was 45 setups a day. My record was I got us up to 84. We, I shouldn't say I. We got up to 84 one day. Um, wow. And in spite of that, we were still behind. We still didn't get everything on the call sheet. And Is and, that just because of the complexity of like shooting on ice and the big crowds and things like that? And shit takes time. Yeah. And a 12-hour day is really a 10-hour day. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you think of all the things that have to happen and uh, and getting the machine going and all these different things. And, um, and we just they overloaded and we're always far too ambitious in what they want you to do with every day. Um, and I – and um, so, so that was a bit Waterlooish once and every once in a while, and you know, there's a lot of managing personalities, mm-hmm. and so sometimes you'll inevitably come to loggerheads with somebody about something, and um, and the key is to uh, hear them, um, but if they if if you if you disagree and know that you're seeing the movie in a bigger way than they are. To find a way to honor what they're saying and respect it while not just throwing everything away for them, you know, kind of thing. It's, it's a lot of managing personalities and expectations. I have an important question, Please. which is how, to, how do you stage a great hockey fight? Oh, good There's call. so many good fights yes. in this movie. Thank you. How do you do that? Oh, wicked. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I could talk about I could talk about stunt choreography for <laughs> hours. It's my favorite stuff. To, so – when it came time uh, to sit down to start cutting the movie, uh, my editor, um, uh, my editors uh, Jason and Andrew, had been cutting scenes as we were shooting. But when it when, when I was done on set and it was time for me to go into the edit suite in earnest, Jason was like, "Well, what do you want to start with? We can literally start with any scene." Uh, I was like, "Do we have to start chronologically?" He's like, "No, we just start with whatever scene you want." I was like, "Okay, let's do the final fight." So first thing I ever cut with Jason was the final fight that closes our movie. Um, we're all big fight nerds. And uh, and so how we started it was we uh, – I sit down with our uh, stunt choreographer um, and coordinator and choreographer, uh, Jean Frenette, and uh, we kind of go through each one of these and try to tell him what this has to be and what it can't be and ideally what we want. Because the other thing is – you can't treat each fight in 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 isolation. You have to remember that this is fight three of five. That each thing has to have its own rhythm, its own vibe. It's got to the audience should get a different itch scratched in every fight. Are you going to like hockeyfights.com and studying fights to, oh, to, to, to I, steal oh, moves? Completely and, and and always. And but I'd be watching that shit anyway. I grew okay. up watching this stuff mm-hmm. and I love it. And and so but by the way. There's a ceiling on how many moves you're ever going to use in a hockey fight anyway. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, I would I'd, I'd love to see the man try to body slam somebody like like that's just never and there's no reason to punch anybody in the gut either really. Right. Like and so so there's only x amount of moves you can do. So so the real fun is 
to find variety within this limited amount of moves. Um, it's also got to feel real because there's no audience, especially where I'm from, there's no audience in the world who is better acquainted with how hockey and hockey fighting are photographed than Canadians. And so it's like, so they've, it's got to pass their bullshit test. Mm -hmm. It's also got to be its own thing in a way. And, and so we would kind of, and of course it's a movie. So every once in a while you, you, you throw in something that wouldn't be like, in our, there's way more headbutts in our movies than there are in. <laughs> I did, I did notice that. <laughs> there are a couple of vicious headbutts. Yes, yeah, yes, there are, and um, and so. A uh, stunt team would uh, start running it and practicing it and would send me tapes. I'd give notes. Uh, um, then when would come time to shoot the thing, doubles run it on, uh, in front of everyone. We get the entire cast and crew, and we did this with all of our hockey as well. It was always the most fun on set, the times on set. All of the crew and cast queue up at the bench usually, and we just give stunts the floor, and we watch them, and, and the point is to track the arc of the fight to see where it has to start, where we want to go. And also, and this is the real cool thing to me, is is picking your uh, act breaks within the fight. So, so for example, in the final fight in Goon Last the Enforcers, it pays homage to the final fight of the first film, where it is a big movie version of a hockey fight, but it's still a hockey fight. Each guy's got a, a chunk of the other guy's collar, and they're just laying into each other. Well, there comes a time uh, in that fight when Anders pivots and he comes back and he hammer fist dug in the face and it's fucking brutal. Yeah. That was act break number one for us. From that point on, the fight has a different energy and, and is amped up. And so that tells us as production wise, uh, working up to there, th from that point on, that's when we start putting blood in the mouth. And that's when this is that. And this is when we start to see the first bit of cracks on the like. So so you, you and then you pick act break two in the fight. And that's when the next tier of makeup and blood comes in. And the company, the entire crew and set all understand, okay, so we're we're in this part, we're in part three, we're in part one right now. Okay, that's right. So let's run that a bit. Let's do a few clean ones. Let's try to get some blood in there. Okay, well, anything else are we missing? And then it's about making sure that each heavy hit lands to the best of our abilities, you know, like I can't stand action movies where I'm bored watching guys fight. And there's a myriad of those. Wyatt Russell is so good in this movie. So yeah. such a credible, yeah. uh, monstrous yeah. asshole. Um, just wanted to note that let, 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 let's, let's, let's wrap with what happens now. Yeah. You've made your directorial debut. Yeah. You're a really seasoned and successful actor. Thanks. Where, what direction are you going to go in? What are you going to do? Thank you. Uh, well, uh, I, 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 um, I just want to keep making movies and and uh, cool TV shows uh, as long as people let me. Um, and so that movie, Random Acts of Violence, that Jesse and I wrote that we were trying to get going before this one, uh, is a version of things where I'm getting to direct that this fall even. And um, and also uh, this year I I made an investment about 20% uh, of a comic book company called Chapter House Comics in Toronto. And uh, and so and I'm also the uh, chief creative officer there. So that means that when I'm not like trying to make movies, I'm like signing off on capes and logos <laughs> and help coming up with bad guys and 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 world building and and it's just like I I it's the closest to feeling like I was ten years old in my friend's treehouse again, you know. And um, so. Um, it, now I understand and love uh, acting, and I've gotten to make a lot of do some cool stuff and make a lot of people happy. And I'm doing the next How to Train Your Dragon movie. And if something awesome finds me, then that would be lovely. But 
my ambitions are to keep making uh, action movies and horror movies, and uh, and to and to do some wicked comics if I can too. Jay, major dreams come true for yourself. Thank Amazing. you very much. Thank you very much for coming on, man. Thanks for having great. me. Congrats on the movie. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by the new Paramount Pictures film, Mother. In the movie, a couple's relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home, disrupting their tranquil existence. From filmmaker Darren Aronofsky, who made Black Swan and Requiem for a Dream, Mother stars Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, and Michelle Pfeiffer in a riveting psychological thriller about love, devotion, and sacrifice. I would expect a little bit of horror in that film as well. Go check it out in theaters September 15th. Ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds by just answering 10 simple questions. Not to mention you can choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 different fabrics from classic to business. Completely customize the shirt that you want. So stop wearing shirts that don't fit and start looking your best with a custom fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com backslash BS today and our gift code BS to save $20 on your first shirt. Do it today.